Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to healthcare. Hello, this is Dr. Jim Morrow. We're tickled to have you join us for another episode of To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. I'm with Morrow Family Medicine. We have offices in Cumming and Milton, Georgia. And as we like to say, we're bringing the care back to health care. Uh, we're doing it both live and in person in our offices and also via telemedicine today. Uh, we're trying in Morrow Family Medicine not to bring this virus into our office. So if you call and have an, an illness with respiratory or GI symptoms, we're very likely to recommend that we see you with a telemedicine visit. Um, but we're going to see you in some fashion. And if you need care, we want you to reach out to us and let us help you. For the podcast, we've got uh, a lot of interest in what you have to say. And we appreciate very much the comments and questions and show topic ideas that we do get. In order to send those in, you can email those to Dr. Jim, that's drjim at toyourhealth.md. Or you can tweet us. We are at To Your Health MD. So as I've been doing for the last several episodes, and let me stop for a second, John. I hope you got your microphone on. We're celebrating an anniversary. Yes, uh, we're, we're uh, just over a year doing this, and it's been uh, an incredible ride. I've really enjoyed doing these these podcasts. It's been a wonderful thing for me personally for the practice. And I think we've done a great job, but I wanted to thank you for uh, for what you've done with all of this for the last year. It's just been fantastic. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been a blast, and uh, you you do a marvelous job. So you're you're perfectly suited for this. So thank you for thank you for letting me ride with you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and it's actually a little bit more than a year, but I brought it up because I've been reminded about it lately because I'm getting tons and tons of comments on LinkedIn, congrats on your work anniversary, and so forth. So Good. So coronavirus, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, all this thing that has so greatly changed everything about our lives in the last four months, I suppose. Um, I've been trying to do an update on the coronavirus activity and on the pandemic, and I'm going to do that now. I've got several things I want to talk about. I'm going to try not to be too long-winded, but I'm already doing that, so I'm going to shut up and get to what I want to talk about. The first thing is hydroxychloroquine. Uh, you see it on Facebook. You see it on Instagram. You see it on everything you read. You see it on the internet and everywhere. Hydroxychloroquine is the panacea for COVID-19. And it's not. It's just not. Um, it, just, it, it just isn't. There have been scientific studies done. They're not the best type, but they're the kind you can do in this situation, which are retrospective studies where people look back at cases where people were treated with hydroxychloroquine and people who weren't, and people have done better when they weren't and have, in fact, done in some cases worse when they were. So hydroxychloroquine is not going to turn out to be the thing that solves this thing and gets us back to 85,000 people in a football stadium in two months. So that's not going to happen. Um, Remdesivir is a medicine that is used in a lot of um, inflammatory processes. It's an IV drug, and it has been shown to do some good in COVID-19. 
but it's an IV only drug and it has to be given very early in the disease. And people don't really get sick enough to show up for care until the second week of the disease in most cases. So although remdesivir has been shown to help some people, we're, I think that's more of kind of lighting a path we might be able to go down than it is the answer to this whole thing. I don't think remdesivir is going to be that uh, just because of the timing. We've noticed in the United States that the total number of cases has started to plateau. Uh, it's not stopping by any stretch, but it has slowed, and that's a good thing. And now, of course, Georgia has opened up in the last 10 days, and um, many states are starting to do that. And you can bet, as good a bet as you'll ever have, that there will be a bump in cases. Uh, you hear people talk about the second wave, and that's sort of something that's anticipated, but we don't know for sure if it's going to happen, but it's not going to surprise anybody if it does. But for right now, it looks like what we've done with social distancing and with sheltering in place has really made a difference. It seems to seems to be saving lives, and it's certainly saving uh, a lot of money. What it's not saving is people's jobs and livelihoods, and that's a, a whole different topic for a whole another person on a whole another day. The healthcare system has been spared the overwhelming push that would have happened had we not done that. And what that means, if you're not clear on that, is that we're not having to do what they had to do in Italy, which is to decide to take a 90-year-old off a ventilator so they can put a 50-year-old on a ventilator. And also so that people who have other diseases besides this, because there's still other things out there, who end up needing ventilators and equipment in a hospital can get it because it's not being swamped up by people with the virus. You hear a lot of controversy about masks. Do I wear a mask? Should you wear a mask? What kind of mask? Well, number one, anything's better than nothing. Number two, you have to understand that wearing a mask is very unlikely to keep you from getting sick. But wearing a mask can keep you from making me sick. And that's a big deal. They did a study in New York State and found that 44% of people who had no symptoms had active virus in their body. They were contagious and they had no symptoms, 44%. So if you're thinking, well, I'm fine, I'm not a threat to anybody, you don't have any idea if you do or if you don't have the virus. So be smart, be cordial, be human, and wear your mask. And no, it's not that the government's making you wear a mask. You're not losing your rights for crying out loud. You're just wearing a mask so you don't make other people sick. For the same reason, you don't walk up to somebody and cough in their face when you have a cold. Wear your mask. Please wear a mask when you go outside. Antibody tests. Antibody tests are available. There's some, there, there are a ton, a couple of hundred different antibody tests. You can order them yourself. You can do them yourself. You can stand out on the corner and charge 10 bucks a pop and do them. And some of those tests aren't worth the powder and lead it would take to blow them up. But some of them are good. So go to your physician's office and get a test that's done by a reference lab. And in that test, they might test for three different types of antibodies, IgA, IgM, and IgG. That's immunoglobulin A, immunoglobulin M, and G. So IgA is a respiratory antibody. That's what happens when you get a common cold, you build an antibody, 
and it doesn't do you any good because the cold virus changes. And so then you're out of luck next time you get a cold, but you still create an antibody. And that's an IgA antibody that you created because of a respiratory infection. And then there's IgM, which we create, all of us who have an immune system, we create that in response to an infection. And that's the antibody that you have during the infection and the immediate time frame, a couple of weeks after the infection. And after several weeks, IgM is gone. So if you have a test and you see IgM in that, it means that you are either at the tail end or just finished an infection creating that antibody. Now, the problem with IgA and IgM is they can both cross-react with the two coronaviruses that cause the common cold. So coronaviruses are not new. These are, these are very old but there are two that cause the common cold. They're called 229E and OC43. And you want to remember those, John, we're going to have a test at the end of this. I'm going to ask you about those. Oh dear. You write those down. IgA and IgM can cross react. So when you have your test, you're not looking for that. You're looking for IgG. If you have an IgG test and it's positive, that means you've been exposed to or infected with, the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19. It's specific for that virus. We presume, which is all I like assume, and we all know about that, but we presume that this de- defers some sort of, or infers some sort of immunity to this virus. And it's impossible to believe it doesn't. The question is how long might it last? But getting the antibody test doesn't tell you a great deal. It might answer the question when I had that horrible bronchitis in the middle of February, was it COVID? And it might have been. And it'll tell you that. And it's interesting information. Uh, It's not particularly critical that you have that test. If you're taking ACE inhibitors and angiotensin receptor blockers for blood pressure, stay on them. I don't care what you read on Facebook six weeks ago, stay on them. You need to be on them. It might actually be beneficial for you to be on them, but it's not going to harm you to be on them. If you're taking aspirin, stay on your aspirin. If you're taking allergy medicines, stay on them. They help. They help differentiate you from a COVID-19 victim or patient because COVID-19 does not cause sneezing, period. And then there's this thing that came out since we talked last. This video with Dr. Judy Mikovits. You probably saw her. She's uh, an anti-vax advocate who has been discredited in every corner of the globe by anyone who could ever come up with any facts at all. Uh, They did a video somewhere in the title was Plandemic. I I think probably at least 15 people sent me the link to it. I watched half of it. I wasn't going to waste 26 full minutes of my life with it. It is total and complete bunk to the point that YouTube even took it off. Uh, I think Facebook may have taken it off and Lord, if they took it off. It's either conservative or it's trash, one or the other. I'm not sure which. So don't pay any attention to this thing. You need to understand that scientists and doctors, and there's a difference in the two. Some are both, some are either. 
But they're accustomed to saying, I don't know. We're very comfortable with I don't know, because usually I don't know is followed by, but how can we find out? And there's the public is accustomed to having answers. For the last at least 50 and maybe 75 years, when you go to a physician, you've gotten an answer because you have some disease process or some condition that he's dealt with, something he has experienced or she has experience with. And when you go and you're talking about coronavirus, this coronavirus, you're talking about something that they don't have experience with. And there's a lot of I don't know. And in, in this video, what is said in that video is just her opinion. And there's just not any fact in it. So I encourage you not to pay any attention to that if you, in fact, were thinking about paying attention to that. But this this thing that that bothers me as much as anything about this whole thing right now is the way people latch on to things. And I know you want answers. I want answers. But just because somebody puts it on Facebook doesn't make it an answer. That's not necessarily the same thing. This is a totally new virus. It's just like if we were alive at the time of Louis Pasteur, when he was pasteurizing solutions to make them safe and discovering things and, and Salk was discovering vaccines. I mean, these people discovered things that didn't exist and learned things that didn't exist. And people do it every day, but it's not as public as this has been. And this is just, it's been an amazing time to be a physician. Um, and in some ways, a wonderful one, in some ways, not so much. So that's a coronavirus update. A little bit long, but a lot of information. And it has been three weeks since we talked, so a lot has happened. I want to remind everybody that Mara Family Medicine sponsors this podcast. We are very proud of being one of the first practices in the area to offer drive-through testing for a coronavirus. We're also we're one of the first to offer telemedicine for both sick and well people. We spent the entire month of April doing telemedicine. Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, we're doing a combination of both now. So if there's anything that Mara Family Medicine can do for you or your loved ones, we hope that you'll give us a call. Now, today we're going to talk about something that many people have been talking about, which is the stress associated with this pandemic. Outbreaks are not common, thankfully. Nobody would want to do this with any regularity. But they're incredibly stressful because of change. And one of the most stressful things that you'll ever go through in your life is any sort of change. This outbreak's been very stressful for really everybody. You couldn't imagine anybody that hadn't. And fear and anxiety about a disease can be overwhelming. It can cause strong emotions in adults, but especially in children. And coping with that stress will make you and the people you care about and your community stronger when you deal with and cope with that stress. But stress during an infectious disease outbreak, especially, can include fear and worry about your own health and the health of your loved ones. It can create changes in sleep and eating patterns, worsening of chronic health problems and certainly mental health problems, and increased use of things like alcohol and tobacco and drugs. So it's a, it's a very complex problem 
It's a, and it's a problem that is going to have some impact, I'm willing to say, on every single person. Because every one of us is experiencing this pandemic. So that brings me to our guest today. We're very fortunate today to have with us Dr. Brooke Jones. Dr. Jones is owner of Fresh Start for the Mind, which is a group of psychologists and psychiatrists in the North Georgia area between here and um, Stockbridge, all the way down to Stockbridge over to Canton. So we've got the Swanee to Canton to all the way down to Stockbridge area covered with them. And I want to say, Brooke, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Dr. Morrow. Well, first, you got to call me Jim. Nah, I can do that. Thank you. Jim, except pay. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your practice. Sure. So we have three locations, as you mentioned. We are located in Swanee, Canton, and Stockbridge. And the practice is made up of various providers. We have a psychiatrist on staff, psychologists who primarily focus on psych evaluations and assessments. We have counselors and therapists who focus on many different things, including counseling for individuals, children and adults, um, couples counseling, and child therapists. And we have a nutrition um, expert, which is a dietitian on staff, and coaches and psychometrists who assist us with the psych evaluation. So it's a big team, and our um, administrative staff are a great support to us. So it's a, it's a big team and a great family. Well, did I see looking at your website also that you have a therapy dog? We do. That's Dutch. Our uh, One of our psychologists, Dr. Denise McKinney, she's trained Dutch, and he is uh, just such a special dog. He does a lot of um, calming our patients down who have a lot of anxiety. And when he comes in, he's just he's precious. So that's our sweet Dutch. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my golden doodle, Rally, could be a therapy dog unless somebody happened to ring a doorbell during a visit. <laughs> Everybody would go crazy, I'm sure. So yeah. Brooke, I, I can only assume that y'all have done telemedicine during this time. Exactly. We have transitioned 100% to telemedicine, especially in the first few weeks of the pandemic. And once everything was, we were trying to transition to a telehealth uh, practice. wasn't easy, but we did. And everybody jumped right on board to do that. Um, we have had few sessions because when it comes to psych evaluations, it's really difficult to do the full evaluation online. So that's really the only service that we've done somewhat in the office and taken proper precautions with that. But all of our counselors, psychiatrists, our admin team, everyone's working from home and we have the virtual telehealth um, services set up. Well, have you already seen an increase in visits or do you think that'll wait till this is whatever over is? In the first few weeks, we did see a, a dip, um, but I think people were just getting used to the transition trying to figure out their personal lives and changes at home and work with school. Um, but in the past month, we've seen an, uh, an increase in counseling, especially. So, you know, individuals are calling. They want support for themselves. They're ready to continue with their mental health journey. Um, parents want support for their kids or some feedback from our child therapist and marriage counseling. So people are calling in. I think it's just been a transition in a lot of ways, including what they're used to. But I would say about 25% of an increase with counseling intake. And, you know, stress is such a generic sort of term. Can you talk a little bit about what types of problems you're seeing during the pandemic? Um, I would definitely say that anxiety is the main 
emotion that we're hearing. Um, you know, with that, it's fear and worries um, about your own health, about the health of the people you love, fears about the community, um, the financial impact that this can have on families in our country, the world, uncertainty of the future. So all of that, you know, clusters into anxiety, anxious thoughts, anxious feelings, anxious behaviors. Um, so that's been the primary emotion. I mean, of course, there are people who experience sadness and um, over the state of the country and the death toll. And if they have personal um, experience with uh, people who have been infected or have died from COVID, um, anger for the same reasons. And then there are some that don't have any strong emotions. So, but if I had to say the main fear, the main concern would be anxiety and fear. And when we were talking <laughs> offline beforehand, uh, you mentioned that you see children as well. And I'm curious if you have advice on how, to, how parents can help their children cope with the changes and the stress and the things that they can't help but hear about what's going on. Sure. Well, you know, I, I must say that kids are different. And, of course, one shoe doesn't fit all. So it's important that, care, that parents first look to see if there is any behavior change. Um, kids, they don't really know how to express fear. They don't know how to express boredom, stress, or sadness. So really tapping in and making sure you're paying attention to behavioral changes uh, would be a key indicator for parents to know if their child has um, is experiencing stress. So excessive crying, um, returning to behaviors like regressive behaviors, bedwetting, toilet accidents, um, irritability or acting out for children and teens, um, avoidance of things that they used to enjoy could indicate depression. There's also some body issues like body pain and unexplained headaches. Sometimes when we don't express how we feel, it shows up in our body, and some of those physical complaints could be an indication. So first and foremost, definitely tune in to how your child's behavior has changed. And then the ways to support, um, there's many. One of my child therapists, she gave me an acronym, LOVE, L-O-V-E, to encourage her parents to listen, be open, validate, and empathize. So with listening, you know, answering questions, sharing facts about COVID, so some of the things that you're sharing, and, you know, of course, in a way that a child or teen can understand, being open, sharing how, you know, you're affected. If we tune into the emotion that we're sad or that we're angry or that we're afraid, we can almost, almost all the time know how to manage those feelings. Saying how do I manage COVID is impossible. We don't know. It's impossible. Um, but saying how we, our family manages stress, this is what our family does when we're afraid. This is what our family does when we're angry. Um, so fi figuring out those things and validating, reassuring them that they're safe, and these are the measures that we're taking at home to make sure you're safe, um, limiting their exposure to the news coverage, um, and also, last one, empathize, making sure that you care about them missing their friends, after-school activities, camp, basketball, prom, graduation. In their world, it's a big deal. So giving them the space to explain that um, and be a role model, show them how to be stressed, how to be anxious, taking breaks from um, social media or from the news, getting plenty of sleep, let them see you exercise. Um, so, yeah, there's tons of, of ways to be a support to children, but you do have to take care of yourself and let them see that. That's great. I love that love acronym. Yeah. That's really good. I'm going to remember that one. Um, yeah, our child therapists are great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, the yeah. people who are not taking care of kids or older parents, they still got to take care of themselves. And yeah. so if, if, if I'm thinking about things that people can do for that sort of self-care, can you tell me some recommendations on 
specifics about what people can do with self-care, how they can make this better? Sure. Um, well, it's different for everybody. Um, so the main goal I'm saying to a lot of my patients is not to come out of this stronger, slimmer, smarter, but also the goal can't be to just get through it. So making small goals in any area is uh, my advice. So if it is, you know, I want to take care of my body, um, I want to meditate more, I want to be, a, you know, better stretching or breathing, and that could be a very small goal. That's good enough. That's great. Um, eating healthier, you know, making some changes in your diet. So, of course, we can't expect that people to, you know, go all in and, and um, have healthy and balanced meals every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But if it's one thing that I cut out, then that's a small goal. Um, exercising or taking walks. Um, for some, that may be the idea to, to get through this and, you know, taking care of your body is one area, but it may be to rest more. Um, for some, it may be developing a new activity. So again, small goals, dancing, puzzles, taking walks. And for some, it could be connecting with others. So if you have old friends that you haven't connected with or family members, you know, establishing um, relationships and, and growing closer in those relationships, that may be the goal. So Zoom calls, a house party app, you know, just talking about anything that makes you laugh, not the COVID stuff. <laughs> um, so definitely those kinds of things can help with self-care. Um, and I do want to also add, that, you know, when dealing with children, if you have a child with special needs or extreme issues with the depression or anxiety um, or just express special needs period that you're not used to dealing with, reaching out to the specialists who are used to dealing with um, behavioral, emotional changes, sensory issues. So occupational therapists, speech therapists, physical therapists, play therapists, they're still here. And they're still working. So um, in those cases, it may be beneficial to reach out in the, if you need the help. That's awesome. I, I, I love that. And you know, it's, it's just been such a strange time that I think every single one of the people you see, I don't care where you are, the people you see are, are all stressed. And I, and I think uh -huh. that, that kind of information can, can really go a long way for us. I appreciate that. But what we're talking about really to this point is, you know, just dealing with the idea that there's a pandemic, the fact that you can't go to school, the fact that you can't go to play with your friends. But what about all those people that actually have COVID-19? Uh, what can people do emotionally and, and from a, a psychological standpoint to support those that are actually dealing with this disease? So um, virtual communication, it's so important. And especially since we can't be together, um, so my recommendation would be to use virtual communication like the phone, mailing letters or cards. Um, just recently, you know, I, I have to be a teacher as well to my kids. So, you know, I sent some of my son's um, writing. He's a first grader. So it's funny. I sent some of his writing homework to a family member and she loved it. So something that was stressful to us, you know, turned out to be something that brightened this family member's day. So, you know, just being creative and sending them mail, making sure that you're checking in with phone calls text messages, video chats and apps, um, you know, social media even. So just being there for those loved ones. Um, and if you're a praying person, you know, pray with them. So just making sure that you are connecting on some level to let them know they're not alone and that, you know, they can, you can be a support even though you're not there with them physically. That's awesome. And, you know, we in family medicine, internal medicine, uh, we see so many people all the time that have 
a wide variety of chronic diseases. And I mentioned a minute ago that one of the things that happens is you can have worsening of chronic health problems. Um, have you had much opportunity to work with the medical community specifically, uh, the internal medicine community to help people in, with problems that are getting worse because of the stress? We have. We um, Fortunately, we, we already had a pretty good referral base from um, medical doctors like yourself and um, pediatricians, you know, frequently refer to our practice. So the relationships were there and then letting them know that we are still here offering telehealth and virtual services um, has been really helpful too. And as far as for our medical first responders, uh, first responders, frontline workers, including gro grocery store clerks, hospital staff, we offer two free sessions at Fresh Start. Um, so that's two free 45 minute sessions just to help them with building any coping skills or just processing the transitions. And of course that can go into longer term um, treatment but we do offer those services to our medical and frontline workers. Um, and then, of course, patients can also call their insurance company to find out a list of providers in their network. Um, many companies are not only allowing telehealth services that they did not used to allow in the past before all of this, but some are even waiving copay costs. So just to make it easier, um, so there is help out there. There are hotlines, um, helplines, disaster distress, national domestic violence, um, so even coming to us asking for a specific type of help, we can maybe direct them to a more specialized service if we can't help help them ourselves. You know, we talked a couple of times about the telehealth thing, and and it was a, a savior for us during the month of April because we didn't see a single person in the office, just like you're describing. And had it not uh -huh. been, I'm not sure what would have happened to our patients or our staff or the business for that matter. But. Uh -huh. What's your feeling about telehealth going forward? We've never been able to do it. We, we could do it, but you couldn't get paid to do it, which made it impossible to do. So, ipso facto, you couldn't do it. What's your feeling yeah. about whether or not they might let us continue to do some of this going forward? I hope so. I mean, there's still so many unknowns. It's um, wise of the insurance companies to approve it, you know, to, to allow the people to keep getting the services. So I do hope insurance companies continue to cover this service because I know that's a barrier for many people in general to get mental health treatment. So when insurance companies don't cover this as a uh, covered service, then people may not get the help that they need. So that's one hope. And I just don't know. We don't know what the future is going to hold in that area. Um, and I will admit that before COVID, I was against telehealth. I didn't want to do it. I wanted to be right there with the patient, um, wanted to be able to connect. So I was against it. And I had a few providers who were for it or wanting to do it. So they're, they're thrilled. They're loving it. They're comfortable and um, providing great services still from their home. Um, but I think that moving forward, we'll see a shift in our practice to offering more telehealth services or having some providers who do more telehealth than they've ever done before, including myself. Well, I know a lot of the patients that we've seen via telehealth have just been so thankful that we were able to do it that way. It, it is so much easier on an awful lot of people who have trouble getting out and about and that kind of thing. And and I was like you, I was I was I was in favor of doing telehealth a certain way, but the way that most people were doing it, I wasn't really that crazy about. But I very quickly during the month of April became comfortable with it. And mm -hmm. really saw the benefits. I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, and we're also seeing a decline in no-shows because it's convenient. You just click on the link and you're meeting your provider. <laughs> so that's a good thing.
It is convenient, but apparently we need to stress to our patients that there's some places you shouldn't do a telehealth call from. Some rooms in your home, if you get my drift, where you shouldn't oh, be yeah. telehealth. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Pri- privacy um, is still you know, a concern and, you know, some patients have indicated that, you know, they don't feel comfortable or they're in the closet whispering, <laughs> um, you know, so we've had to have had to navigate those kind of issues, our kids in the background. So those are some of the issues that come with it. But like you, I'm really thankful that we have this platform and can still offer our services because it's needed. Yeah, it's been really good. So if, if a listener needs help, help managing their stress, anxiety, depression, whether it's related to the pandemic or not, where can they go find them? Well, we offer the services that I mentioned before. So, of course, um, you know, if you're in the local areas, um, well, Georgia, really, because telehealth does span across the state, um, our website, freshstartmind.com, is where you can get uh, information on our providers, our services. We have our phone number listed there, a great intake team that can kind of help navigate the services and which providers are the best fit. Um, there's also, like I mentioned, contacting your insurance company. Um, other, NAMI.org is a great website that can help, you know, direct you to services that you may need in your area if you're not in the state. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's plenty of places, but our website will give you tons of information. Um, and then, like I mentioned, for the medical and first-line responders, if they want those two free services, then we're happy and, and you know, thankful that we get to offer that to them. And, and give us your website one more time. Sure. It's www.freshstartmind.com. Okay. Okay. And NAMI is N-A-M-I.org? Yes. That's the National Alliance of Mental Illness. And they just have so much information. I frequent their website um, just for helpful tips for myself, for patients. Um, so it's a really helpful website if you just want to navigate, get some great reading resources. Um, so if you're not ready to make that phone call, no problem, but certainly reach out, learn some things, and hopefully that can be a good help to you. Well, Dr. Brooke Jones, I really appreciate you joining us and taking the time out of your very busy day to do this. I think this is exactly the kind of thing that our listeners need to hear and a lot of work. I really do appreciate you being with us today. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Jim. Oh, you're very welcome. John, I think that's what we got on stress during the pandemic. That was awesome. Uh, that that was really great, great stuff. And I hope that that we'll get that out to a lot of folks, and a lot of folks will gain from from hearing that. I think so too. But on a lighter note, yes, they had this problem with Zoom in the Supreme Court. So if they'll have it up there with you know people being in the wrong room when they're on Zoom, you heard about that, right? I did not. Yeah, there was a toilet that flushed in the background when they were hearing oral arguments. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the same room I was talking about with the patient, so that's too funny. You, listeners, you can, you can tell what I keep up with. And, uh, Dr. Jibs doing all this work on the coronavirus, and I'm sitting here uh, listening to stuff like that. So you could tell who the pre- real, the real uh, expert is. That's awesome. <laughs> So you got any email questions or anything? Yes, actually, we've got a couple of questions. So, um, um, and we'll probably have a lot more after your sermon at the beginning, cause that was pretty powerful stuff. So you 
there's a lot of questions about the credibility of the CDC. So what do you have to say about that? I'd say that if you're looking for scientific information about infectious and dangerous diseases and conditions in the United States, there's no place you're going to get better, more accurate, more timely information than the CDC. And people who have a problem with the CDC have a problem. It may not be just with the CDC, but they just have a problem. Uh, It might be an authority problem, or it might be a political problem. I don't know, but the CDC is the place to go for answers. I know a lot of people would listen to the Surgeon General. I've known a Surgeon General, and I wouldn't let her walk my dog. And um, I, I think the CDC has exactly what you need, and they've been really good about getting the information out and getting it on their website and getting it available. And I think the CDC is doing a fantastic job. Okay. Um, and the other question relates to, um, and this is a relatively friendly question, I think, based on the tone of what I'm seeing here, um, is what, how, knowing that you don't know for sure, what do you think about the timing of a vaccine when it might come? I mean, cause you've done the research. That's what this listener is saying. You've done the research on this. I mean, what do you think about that? How long is it going to take? Or will it be one of those situations where we don't ever really get a reliable vaccine for COVID-19? Well, vaccines take a long time. Uh, vaccines often take up to 10 years to develop and to study and to test. And I think the earliest, the absolute earliest we would see a vaccine would be about 18 months from now. Um, we've been trying to create a vaccine to respiratory syncytial virus, which affects mostly young babies and young children, for over 15 years and can't pull it off. And, and the idea of a vaccine brings up another thing that's misinformation out there. You hear people talk about this virus mutating. And this virus has mutated. RNA viruses, which is this and influenza and some others, RNA viruses change over time. They mutate. But what hasn't happened with coronavirus, with, with SARS-CoV-2, is it has not changed its immunogenic properties when it's mutated. So it hasn't changed how it responds, how your body responds to it. So if you had an antibody to it, you're going to be good to go. And so if we can come up with a vaccine, the immunity should be very long lasting and should be very effective. But it's still an if because we just don't know if we'll ever have one. But it won't be soon. And it won't be time in time to watch Clemson from Memorial Stadium in the fall. <laughs> And that's a crying shame. Yeah. yeah, I can see a tear come to your eye on that one right there. So, uh, you, you, in the fall, you may need to go see Doctor Jones. Maybe, maybe keep a spot open, Brooke. <laughs> I will. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, that's what we've got on the questions. All right. I do appreciate everyone listening. I would encourage you, if you are listening, to hit the subscribe button so you can be notified when we have new episodes. That'll be in two weeks. And uh, also, please send us some information. Send us a a comment, good, bad, or indifferent, so we can, number one, know that you're out there, and number two, maybe make the show better. 
And Brooke Jones, Dr. Brooke Jones, I appreciate you joining us from a fresh start for the mind. And John, for now, that's your help. Thank you so much.